Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. So grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. So when you think about crafting or when you think about construction, uh, you often need things to stick together, right? That's what you do in crafting. That's what you do in construction. You put things together, but you don't always do it with screws or with nails. Sometimes you need some things to come together, and, and, and the only way you can do it is with adhesive, all right, to get the things to really bond together. Now, not all adhesives are created equal. Right? Some are much stronger than others. At the lowest level of bonding is something like this, something like a, a glue stick that you might see. Or think about this, right? When you think about kids with glue sticks, I mean, it's safe for them to use. They do this all the time, right? Some of them might even lick it. I mean, who knows? Did you guys remember kids eating paste back in the day? I'm sure nobody here did that, okay? But as you can see in the picture, it, it's safe for kids to use. Or you think about crafting glue like you see right here. In this picture, it's liquid, it's a little stronger, all right, than the other kind of glue there. But again, it's safe for kids. But you go up to another level here, and you might get into wood glue. Um, wood glue there, then, and even to this next level with super glue there. So each one kind of gets stronger until you get to the fifth level, which is called epoxy. And with epoxy, epoxy is one of those things, it's a mixture of two compounds, a resin and a hardener, which can be stored or has to be stored separately until they're combined together um, so that they don't dry up together. They, they, they dry so quickly and they form such a durable, high-performance bond. So whatever level of adhesive your job calls for, all five of these adhesives, they, they help you to stick together. Now, as we turn to Ephesians 4 here, Paul points us to things in the Christian life that act like glue. Things that bond us together, that help us to stick together. Now, in the first three chapters of Ephesians here, he has spent the first three chapters telling us that he has brought us together. That's what we see in the first three chapters. And here in the fourth chapter, we're going to turn a corner, all right? But in the first three chapters, he's shown us all the ways that he has brought us together. But now, here in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, he moves on that we have been brought together to help us to realize and to learn how we can stick Together, the bond that keeps us together. And the bond, y'all, that we should have is greater than all the glue and all the epoxy in the world put together. Why? Because it is a bond in Christ, a bond that is forever. Now, don't think for a moment, though, that spiritual forces will not try to tear us apart. Our sin, our flesh, the devil, they're constantly working to do that. So now that God has brought us together, how are we to stay together? And that's today's topic. And here it is. How to promote and maintain Christian unity even when the world wants to tear us apart. Now this is a word that we need today. How do we maintain, how do we promote unity, Christian unity, even when the world wants to tear us apart? Because right now there are powerful forces in our midst, in our nation, 
that are seeking to rip us apart as a nation. They want to deconstruct America, disown, destroy America. And those forces and those attitudes can easily creep into a church fellowship and they can begin to drive wedges even within the body of Christ. But you have to understand something this morning. This is just the controversy du jour. <laughs> All right? now, I've been a pastor now for nearly 20 years. And as most of you know, this isn't the first time that the world has threatened and sought to tear us apart. It's just the latest attempt. This has been going on since the creation of the church after the resurrection, after Pentecost. I think about even there in the book of Revelation where the dragon, it talks about that dragon that's trying to kill this child of God and the people of God there. So this is a continual effort by the forces of darkness. And when this controversy du jour has run its course, a new controversy will take its place. Because sin, death, the devil, flesh, is constantly, continually nipping at our heels, tearing at the edges, trying to tear us apart and to devour us one bite at a time. So today's text here in Ephesians chapter 4 is absolutely crucial for us today. And it will be every day, the next day, and the next day, and the next day, until Christ comes and brings heaven to earth. So... How then, as we dig into today's topic, how then do we promote and maintain Christian unity even when the world wants to tear us apart? So let's look here in our word here how God wants to do that, how he teaches us to do that. So I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the word of God this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Here is God's instructions for us on how to promote and to maintain unity even when the world wants to tear us apart. The word of God says this. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as, he, or just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Thus ends the reading of the word of God this morning. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we turn to you because there is no one else to turn to. God, you are our hope. You are our peace. You are the tie that binds. As we used to sing in that old classic hymn, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. You, Father, you are the tie that binds. And so we come to you today asking you, God, to do a work in our hearts. I'm not talking and asking you to do a work in my neighbor's heart, first and foremost. I'm asking you, Father, to do a work in my heart. God, I want to be the type of person who promotes and maintains unity. And I pray that for my brothers and sisters as well. But it begins with my own heart as it begins with their own heart as well from their perspective. So work in our midst. Now, Father, I pray this morning for the man, woman, boy, or girl who has never turned and trusted Christ. They have never been unified with Christ. They've never been connected to Christ by grace through faith. They've never been redeemed. They've never experienced the fullness of the freedom that is found in Christ. We pray that today would be the day that you would call them 
show them their sin, and they would run from their sin to the cross of Christ and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior even right now, Father. I pray even right now they would call out to you. Lord, would you move in our midst, we pray. Do what only you can do, God, which is to bring people together from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation and keep us together in peace and unity. Do this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab your seat there. So as you look at the text here, our text points us to four actions that will promote and maintain unity even when the world wants to tear us apart. And that first action is this, is know that God expects nothing but unity. Nothing but unity. That's the expectation of God. Look at verses four through six here. Paul points us to seven doctrinal realities of unity. Now, you might hear somebody say, man, don't talk to me about doctrine. Just let me live the Christian life. Or you might hear them say, man, it makes no difference what you believe just as long as you live right. Now, if you hear those sorts of things, just know this. They are, I want to say this as nice as I can, they are exposing their ignorance to how the Word of God works, how God and His Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer. Because it does make a difference what you believe. It does make a difference what doctrine teaches because doctrine informs our living, right? What you believe determines how you live. And so Paul points us here to seven doctrinal realities that that, that inform us how we're to live this Christian life. He says one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, One baptism, one God and Father. Let's look at those seven things real quickly. One body. There is only one body of Christ. There is not a red body and a yellow body and a black body and a white body. There is not an Asian body and an American body and an African body and a European body. All of these ethnicities, all of these colors and nationalities are one body in Christ. There's not a Baptist body and a Methodist body and a Pentecostal body, Presbyterian body, Episcopal body, Catholic body. All who are in Christ from these denominations are one body in Christ. But not only is there one body, there's also one spirit. One spirit. That's referring here to the Holy Spirit. We all have the same Holy Spirit indwelling us, animating us, leading us. But not only is there one spirit, but there's also one hope. There's one hope. And that hope is that we all share We share the same hope is that we're being saved by Christ, that we're going to be made like Christ. And one day, soon and very soon, we will be with Christ personally, right? We will be with him. We will see Christ face to face. We'll be with him forever. But not only is there one hope, there's also one Lord. And who is that one Lord? His name is what, church? Jesus Christ. That's right. Jesus is it, y'all. He's the only Lord. He's the only Lord, as Peter said in Acts 4.12. And there is no salvation in anyone else. There is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. There's only one Lord and Savior in the universe. You say, what if there are other people on other planets? I don't know about that. I just know that Jesus is it. That's what the Bible says. 
There's only one Lord, but there's also only one faith. Only one faith which refers to that one settled body of truth that has been delivered to us in Scripture. That's the faith. Jude calls us in Jude 3 or, or Jude 1, 3, however you want to think about it there, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's what he says. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, you and I, listen, we, we probably differ on some of the finer points of the faith, of theology, of doctrine. Uh, again, you get, you get five Baptists in a room, you'll have ten opinions on a doctrine a lot of times, okay? I mean, it's just how it is. But we don't disagree on the main points of the faith. The things which divide Christianity from non-Christianity. That is the quote-unquote faith. And in that, there is one faith. But not only that, there's also one baptism. Now listen, this is probably referring to our baptism in the Spirit. When we first come to Christ at our conversion. Which is then symbolized by being baptized in water. Now if you remember from the book of Acts, we don't have time to go through it this morning. But with each different group, think about it. The Holy Spirit fell on the Jews. Then the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles, and then the Holy Spirit fell on the Samaritans, and then the Holy Spirit fell on John's disciples, and all along there, God was bringing all people under one spirit. We are baptized in one spirit. And then finally, he says, one God and Father. There's only one God. There's only one actual God, although people worship all sorts of gods, there is only one actual living God. And as our creator... We all have the same heavenly daddy who in the text says here in verse 6, Ephesians 4, 6, is over all and through all and in all. So beloved, as we look at these seven doctrinal realities, God expects nothing but what? Oneness. Nothing but unity. He created us for unity. He saved us for unity and he expects us to preserve that unity. Now once we realize that, then the second thing that we should do to promote and maintain unity, even when the world wants to tear us apart, is number two, to refuse to stoop below the standard set by God. God has a standard for us. If unity is the experience that God created us for, and he saved us for, then we dare not go for anything less than that. That's why he says this in verse one. Look at verse one with me. He says, I urge you. He urges us. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He set a standard for us to live in this unity. To live this out. Now the Greek word translated as worthy here is the Greek word axios. Axios, which has the root idea of a weight. We get our, our English word axiom from it, okay? And it means to be of equal weight. And so Paul is trying to say here that we should try to live lives that are equal to the great blessings that are described in chapters 1, 2, and 3. That's what he's saying. Live the reality that we've been called to here. John MacArthur, he wrote this. Here's what he said. He said, believers who walk in a manner worthy of the calling which he has been called is one whose daily living corresponds to his high position as a child of God and fellow heir with Jesus Christ. 
his practical living matches his spiritual position. You know, every week, I don't know how many roll off the assembly line over here at the Corvette plant, but multiple, many, many, many Corvettes roll off of that assembly line. But before that car goes from the assembly line to the streets, the plant over here has to take it through a series of tests to ensure that the quality of that car lives up to the standard of the Corvette name. And so it goes through a series of tests. It goes through like a, 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 a monsoon test. Did y'all know that? That, that, that every, Corvette, every Corvette is taken through a monsoon test where basically they, they throw so much water at it like it's in a monsoon to see if it leaks anywhere or does anything like that. And then it's driven over this bump track where they listen for squeaks and rattles. And then finally it's, it's run down the Corvette care line for a final inspection where everything, and I mean everything, is looked over. And when it leaves the plant over here, the men and women of Corvette know, they know that the quality of the car that they're putting on the street is equal to the quality of the Corvette name. And I say to you this morning, church, in the same way, the quality of our lives should live up to the quality of the name of Christ. That's what he's calling us to here. You and I have to have this mindset. I'm a Christian and I'm going to act like it. Right? That should be our mindset. I'm a Christian, and I'm going to act like it. And if you're going to act like a Christian, then guess what you got to do? you got to live in Christian unity with your brothers and sisters. So refuse to stoop below the standard set by God. Third, in our text here, to promote and maintain unity. Even when the world wants to tear us apart. We not only refuse to stoop below the standard set by God, but we also actively bear with one another in love through humility, gentleness, and patience. Look at verse 2 with me. Verse 2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. There's a lot there. There's a lot there, but the main verb there is bearing. That we were to bear, we were to forbear with one another. That means that you stick together. You stick together. You tolerate one another. You, you put up with one another even when it's hard. You don't give up on each other. You carry the weight of togetherness even when it's heavy. But you don't do it with resentment. Listen, I've carried a lot of heavy loads in my life and hated it, despised it, was bitter about it. But God says that's not the way we're to do it. We're to do it not because the other person is worthy of it always either. No, God through Paul here says to bear one another in love. So love is the reason and the motivation. Love is the reason and the motivation. And when that's the case, when love is the reason and the motivation, then we can bear with one another because, as we read in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. 
love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, are there people, even in this church, who are hard to love and hard to bear? Absolutely. And I'm one of them, right? Every single one of us in here, guys, we have moments in our life where we are hard to love, where we are hard to bear. But guess what? We bear on with one another. Why? Because of love. Because of love. And then here Paul points us to three ways that we show love. Humility, gentleness, patience. I talked earlier about a type of adhesive called epoxy. And as I said, epoxy is two compounds that have to be combined. And so you may think about this love here as three compounds combined to form this strong epoxy of love, of unity here. And so the first compound of that epoxy of unity and love is humility. Humility. You have to understand when Paul's writing this that he is so out of step with his culture of the day. Guys, listen to me. Did you know that Christianity is countercultural? You know what I'm talking about? It's okay if you feel like if if you feel like to be a follower of Jesus that you've got to step out from the mainstream of culture. That's okay. It's always been countercultural. Always. As Paul says this and points to humility, humility was despised in that ancient Greco-Roman world. It was a slave-like quality to them. What they admired was the mega-souled guy, right? The great-souled man who was complete, who was self-sufficient. <laughs> Men like the most interesting man in the world from the Dos Equis ads, right? Or maybe like from back in the day, the Marlboro man from the old tobacco ads, right? These guys, they seemed to lack nothing. And they would have been applauded in Paul's day, much like they are now. But Jesus is our humble king. He's our humble king. And if we're to follow him, then we've got to strive for unity ourselves and strive for humility ourselves. Humility means putting Christ first, others second, and ourselves third. Pastor Tim Keller, he puts it this way. He says, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more about myself or thinking less of myself It is thinking of myself less. Let me say that again. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. So humility is a key compound in the epoxy of love because it declares, I need you. I'm not always right. You're more important to me than being right. You're more important to me than even I am. I'm here to serve you. I am made better by you. The second compound here in this epoxy of love is gentleness. Or maybe your translation says meekness. Now, meekness does not mean weakness, okay? It's power under control. That's what meekness, that's what gentleness is. Power under control, particularly under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's strength restrained. Because when you think about Jesus, he was not weak, was he? 
He was not weak. He had within himself the omnipotence of God, yet it was restrained. It was under control. He was perfectly in control of that strength, and he exuded gentleness and meekness and mildness. Gentleness is a key compound in the epoxy of love because it declares, I care for you. I appreciate you. I value you. The third compound here in the epoxy of love is patience. Now, <laughs> I'm not asking for testimony time here. I'm not, I'm not looking for an amen here. But how many of you would say that patience is the most difficult of all of those here? Especially in our culture, right? When we've been trained to never wait for anything. We want everybody to be microwavable. Just like our popcorn. Yesterday, I, I cooked some rice, and it said it was going to take it 25 minutes to cook. And I said, I want instant rice. I don't want this cooking for 25 minutes stuff. <laughs> That's the world that we live in. But love is patient. Love gives space and showers with grace. Love gives space and showers with grace. Patience. It's a key compound in this epoxy of love because it declares this. You and I are not finished products yet. And I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to help you until we are both complete. That's why patience is so important. And when you combine humility and gentleness and patience, you have this strong compound of love, which leads to unity. Beloved, if there's going to be unity, we must bear one another in love through humility, through gentleness, and through patience. And then finally this morning, to promote and maintain unity, even when the world wants to tear us apart, is to remain eager to stay connected with one another. Paul calls us there in Ephesians 4.3, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. To be eager. We, you may not use that word very often. It means to be hungry for unity, thirsty for unity, craving unity, longing, yearning for unity. That's what our mindset should be. The, world translated, uh, uh, the word translated here as eager is the Greek word that means to do your best, to make every effort. And guess what? You cannot control everybody around you. You cannot control everybody around you, but guess who you can control? And that's you. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, verse 18, that if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That is wisdom. You see, unity, it takes work. It takes work. Theologian Dwight Pentecost, he, he tells of this church split <laughs> that was so serious that each side filed a lawsuit in, 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 in public court, in circuit court, in civil court. Can you imagine? I mean, the scripture says don't do that, but they did that anyway. And the court threw it out. They said, we're not messing with this stuff. And so they took it to a church court. 
And the church court ruled in one side there and gave all of the property, all the land to one side of the debate, one side of the faction. The losers of the, of the, of the court case, they withdrew, they formed their own church. But in the course of the proceedings, the church courts found that the conflict began at a church dinner when an elder received a smaller piece of ham than the child seated next to him. And you go, that's so stupid. That's so stupid. Guys, that's how the devil works. Do you understand? That's how the devil works. He takes some small thing that seems so insignificant, so stupid, so minute, and he gets it in there and he begins to work it and grow until he can fan it into a flame of factionalism, of tribalism, until we're divided and torn apart. We got to work, guys. We have to work. It's so important to not be passive in preserving unity. We've got to work actively and work hard to maintain it. Because here's the deal. Our witness to Jesus Christ for Jesus Christ depends on our unity. It absolutely does. So beloved, I pray that we would live in peace and we would live in unity. And as you well know, that only happens through a relationship with the Prince of Peace. And so I just want to take a moment here right now. I said it earlier in my prayer, but I want to say it again right now. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not right now living in peace with God. You cannot rightly live in peace with mankind. And so I urge you, I beg you, I beseech you, whatever word you want to throw there, come to Christ today. Surrender and live at peace with God. Take Christ as your Savior so the enmity is destroyed and peace remains. And then you can have peace with God and begin working to have peace with man. Church, the world would love nothing more than to tear us apart. But here's my final prayer this morning. Here's my final prayer. May the force of our unity in Christ be stronger than the force of division in the world. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus 
longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.